Thank you very much indeed for the kind uh, introduction and uh, especially for the wonderful uh, invitation to uh, come here. Uh, Japan is a wonderful country and uh, we greatly enjoy it. And I particularly enjoy to be at the Deutsche Institut für Japan Studien because uh, so much interesting work has been done here on happiness in Japan. Uh, I can greatly recommend uh, this uh, publication, or pre-publication rather, by Dr. Tiefenbach and Dr. Kohlbacher, because this research is really extremely uh, well done and uh, helpful to understand in what ways Japan differs from the rest of the world and in which uh, respects it's very similar. For an economist, and probably for most people in the world, that is the essential question. Does money make us happy? And I think it is an interesting question because the answer is not obvious. Some people say it's so obvious that money makes us happy, that people with higher income are happier because why do we all run around and want more money, more and more money, if it wouldn't make happy? It must make happy. But there are, on the other side, people who say, certainly, income has nothing whatsoever to do with happiness. Happiness is something in you, deep in yourself. And it's even bad to have more money because you lose happiness. So it's an open question. And I would now like to know what you think. Who of you thinks that, think that money makes us happier? Could you raise your hand? Yes, sure. <laughs> and who thinks that money has nothing whatsoever to do with happiness? Oh. Yes, I think uh, the majority thinks that, uh, that uh, a higher income is correlated with uh, higher happiness. And in that case, they are right. I want to show you. Here we have on uh, th this uh, axis here, we have income. Here, low income and here high income. And on this axis we have a measure of happiness. And I would like to just ask you for five minutes to accept that we can measure happiness, just for five minutes. So here you have high happiness and here you have low happiness. And you immediately see two things. The first thing is that when people are, no, actually, you see three things, a po very strong positive correlation between income and happiness. People with higher income are happier. People with low income are less happy. I think that is an important finding which we actually find for all countries for individuals living in all different countries, there 
in which there has been research, including Japan, but also in my own country, Switzerland, or these data are now for the United uh, States. It doesn't matter. We always find this strong positive association. You, f you see a second thing. When you have a low income and this income increases just a little bit, your happiness really jumps up. So the, for the poor people, it's extremely important to get an increase in income because that really makes them more satisfied with their lives. Uh, but you see that when income has reached a certain level, when it is higher, happiness doesn't increase very much anymore. That is the relationship between the uh, income of individual persons and their individual happiness. I show you now that this also obtains for countries, for averages of countries. So average income in a country and average happiness in a country. And you see the same strongly positive relationship. You see that uh, countries like, you probably cannot read it well, Belarus or Lithuania, Latvia, Romania, India, Pakistan, Moldavia, where income is low, satisfaction with life or happiness is also low. And you see that rich countries like Denmark, uh, uh, Austria, Finland, Netherlands, USA, Belgium, Germany here, uh, they are, have a high income and their happiness is quite high. And you see, perhaps, Japan there. Uh, and this figure shows that the Japanese are less happy than they could be with the same income. So a country like France, Belgium, or Canada has a very similar income, but their happiness is much higher, and especially high in Denmark. So in Japan, this, this indicates that in Japan there are very important other factors explaining happiness and that happiness in Japan is only partially uh, attributable to income. I show you, uh, these data were taken from the World Values Survey. That's a very important collection uh, by Feenhoven in uh, Rotterdam. I show you now, sorry, a more recent collection, the, the World Gallup Poll uh, with more recent data and the difference to the, to the uh, slide before is that these, uh, these circles show the size of the population in terms uh, of the country, in terms of population. So you see here uh, uh, China, India, and Japan, the USA. But what you also see is exactly the same positive correlation, and that when income is low, it's, it really increases your happiness, while here it's much less the case. Now I would like to show you something different, a different connection between 
income and happiness. Uh, now I, sh I try to show you. Yes, I I show you the relationship between uh, a sequence in time starting with after the war in 1955 to 2005. This is for the United States. So when you go along here, you move over time. And on this axis, you have uh, average income, or rather this uh, line shows you the increase in real income, in real average income in the United States. And you see it's very strongly increasing. And you must take that, please, in real terms. This is how much you can buy with your income in real terms. So uh, how many goods you can buy, how many services you can acquire, how much holidays you can, uh, you can afford. That is in real terms. And the increase is sensational from 10,000 to about 22,000 over this period. So a very strong increase. But you see the share of very happy people stays constant. And that is a relationship which we also find in practically all countries we have analyzed. It does not, if I'm uh, correct, fully apply to Japan or to Italy, but in the United States, happiness doesn't increase over time while real income does. What is the explanation? I think there are two reasons we can uh, bring forward to explain why th there is this divergence between income and the development of happiness. The first is that people get just simply used to a higher income. So income rises, you are happy because you get a higher income, but you get used to it within some months, at least within a year you get used to it. I think that happens to all of us in a regular way. So when income rises, happiness first picks up and then falls again, and then you need another rise in income in order to raise your income, but it falls again. And that is this uh, relationship. And the second is human beings are those animals, living animals, that always compare themselves to other people. They never take their own position in isolation. They always compare themselves and they always look upward. Who has more? Who has, uh, yes, who has even more, more? Uh, and, and when real income rises, of course, the income of everybody rises on average. And so when you compare yourself to other people, you are always, on average, in the same position. You are not better off than the others. And that, of course, depresses your, uh, uh, your happiness. 
Of course, in Western countries, uh, we look back to our philosophers here in, in Greece, Aristotle in ancient Greece, uh, and uh, they have thought about happiness for a very, very long time, over thousands of years, and have probably gained deep insights, and they are still thinking about happiness. Uh, then there are economists or philosopher economists. Jeremy Bentham is an example, an important example. He considered what makes people happy. Uh, you can see that he died in 1832, but in a way he still lives because he is put into, into this little cabin and when the board of the University College in London meets and discusses policy issues, they roll him out and put, it, put him at the table. And the question is, are the other people really happy about that? But you should not think that all people in happiness research are so queer as, as Jeremy Bentham. There are some quite normal people. Here you have one. Uh, though he is a psychologist, he is normal. Uh, it's, it's Kahneman. And he presents, he is a real problem for us economists. I had the chance to talk to him, and he told me that he never attended one lecture in economics, or one class in economics, but he got the Nobel Prize in economics. And that's a certain problem for, for us. Uh, he, he got the Nobel Prize for a different, slightly different uh, area, namely in psychological economics, namely that he showed that people do not always act rationally. But today, he only does, or mainly does, research on happiness. There's another one, an American, uh, Easterlin, who did also fundamental work on happiness. You see, there is, as always, some uh, literature uh, on happiness. Uh, this is now an important question. I ask you to just believe that you can measure happiness. Uh, when I first started to, to work on happiness, I thought this is certainly impossible. It's not possible to measure happiness. Because I thought I was educated as a normal economist, and I thought you can measure all kinds of things, imports and exports, and price level, and national income, and GNP, and, and things like that. And I thought, but certainly not happiness, because happiness is such a subjective uh, uh, feeling which one cannot capture. I changed my opinion, uh, I must say, fundamentally. Today I believe that we can measure happiness quite well. And the interesting thing is that we economists do not try to define what happiness is, because we don't know what it is. But we ask people. That's a different step. We rely on the fact that people are quite reasonable. They are not dumb. They think about their happiness. And 
when you ask them in a serious way, they answer in a reasonable way, which, uh, which uh, meets the criteria uh, one normally associates uh, with, uh, with measurement. The question we ask is the following. Taken overall, how satisfied are you with the life you lead? I, I would like to repeat it. Taken overall, how satisfied are you with the life you lead? Now I would like to know how satisfied with life you are. And the answers are on a scale from zero, where you are totally unhappy, fundamentally totally unhappy, to ten, where you are absolutely happy. So from zero to ten. So may I ask, who of you is at zero, totally unhappy? Oh, none. One. Oh, two. Three. Oh, the Japanese seem to be happy. Four. Five. In the middle. Oh, you have very nice guests. They are very happy. <laughs> Six out of ten. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Seven out of ten? Yes. Many more? Eight out of ten. Oh, wonderful. I'm very pleased. Nine out of ten? Uh-huh. And are there any really absolutely happy people? Oh, I'm glad to see. Oh, oh yes, and uh, that this lady uh, says ten is, of course, uh, very nice for me. <laughs> Uh, you see, you, the answers you gave now correspond surprisingly well to thousand surveys with over one million respondents. Because almost nobody is really unhappy. That is an interesting and no trivial statement. Because when you look at the French philosophers, they tell you, life is terrible. We are in a very uh, uh, unhappy situation all the time. I think that's wrong. Most people are quite happy. Very few are really unhappy. And you see that the Japanese are somewhat if, if I now take that as a, a random selection of the Japanese or people living in, in Japan, you are even a little bit more to the right. Namely, you had a lot of, I, I saw a lot of answers with eight and nine out of ten, which is uh, very nice. But you see the distribution is highly skewed to the right. Now, I told you that we do the research by asking people about their life satisfaction. We don't ask about happiness, because happiness is a more short-run thing. You know, you are happy because it wasn't raining today, things like that. But the question, taken 
overall how satisfied are you with are you with your life is a more long run consideration a more reasoned uh, uh, oper- uh, question but there are other ways yes please concerning that bar graph yes Uh, income distribution, that's interesting. Uh, oh, sorry. Yes, may I come back exactly to that? Thank you. Uh, that is another way to capture happiness. It has been championed by Kahneman, the Nobel Prize winner, and others. And it, it works in the following way you are asked. What did you do yesterday? And you, you differentiate certain episodes. For instance, you got up, had a shower, and then had breakfast. Then you, you went to the office. Then you worked. Then you had coffee and worked again. You had lunch. These are episodes. And only afterwards you are asked, how happy were you during these episodes? It seems to make a difference, and I think psychologists are the people who know about these differences, and they think it, it makes sense to ask into these two steps. I only want to interpret the positive side, positive affect. Being alone doesn't make you very happy. We have a scale, in that case, from zero, very unhappy to six, very happy, or a little, very little satisfied, extremely satisfied with life. It's even better to be with your boss. Of course, it's more fun to be with your co-workers, not surprisingly. Somewhat surprising is that people like to be with their partners, uh, with their uh, wives and, and, and husbands. Uh, uh, but, yeah. It's even better to be with relatives, which is a little bit surprising to me when you, th- when you think of your aunts and uncles and uh, this funny thing. Of course, it's much better to be with friends. That is not surprising that it has a high uh, scale uh, figure here. Commuting, which is an important activity in Japan, doesn't make happy. Though we were discussing that before, most people claim uh, commuting. That's, that's all right. I don't mind. Our studies really show commuting doesn't make happy, though people claim the opposite. And we do not ask, are you happy while com- when you commute? We do it differently. We ask people, How happy are you or how satisfied are you with your life? In a very general way. And then we correlate it. We relate it to the length of commuting. And then we find, exactly as here, it doesn't make you happy. It's even better to work. Housework is not so bad, surprising. Watching TV is, of course, a nice thing. Now we have pray, worship and meditate, which is even higher than watching TV.
Now I must tell you, what does this, these figures relate to? They re relate to something very special. It is a survey of women in Texas, Texas women. And they obviously like to pray and to, to worship. I suppose in most other countries in the world that wouldn't be uh, so highly ranked. But it's better not to do anything. Even better to do socializing, to talk to each other and to, to go to parties and things like that. Not surprising. Then uh, uh, intimate relations. That's American. Uh, <laughs> in normal terms, it's just sex. And... And Texan women like to do sex, uh, but they do it very little. <laughs> Now, we have here happiness, measured happiness. And the measure we economists normally use is uh, this life satisfaction question, going from zero to ten. So... Here we have now measured happiness, and here we now can see that what we measure makes sense. Look at that. Smiling during social interactions is highly correlated with happiness. To be optimistic, to be active when you meet people, to have less problems at work, very important. Those people who do not have all the time problems at work are those who are happy and the other way around, are more ready to help, commit less suicide. Of course, that is a very important thing. And what, of course, psychologists don't like, happy people less, uh, need less uh, psychological counseling, so psychologists uh, lose business. Uh, Here you see that by now we have huge data sources. Uh, for instance, the Gallup poll, which I mentioned before, is, has now been collected for 104 countries and almost 200,000 people asked. So, so it's huge and it's, it's growing and what the two co-workers Uh, of the institute uh, used is a specific Japanese study and that is what happens in all countries. Country-specific studies, uh, uh, data are collected. That is how we proceed. That is measured happiness and then we want to explain the determinants. How does do these things determine happiness? And the first relates to genes and genes turn out to be extremely important to explain happiness we know that uh, from personal experience I think uh, for instance when uh, people go skiing uh, not, of course not in Sapporo or in uh, Switzerland but somewhere else they may break a leg. A happy person a happy person would say 
No, an, up, an unhappy person would say, it's terrible that I broke my leg. I'm very unhappy. While a happy person, genetically happy person, would say, oh, I was lucky. I didn't break two legs. And, and that is a different attitude to life, which is given by genes or by nature. Uh, you see the other determinants. How we do it is in this way. Uh, those who uh, did uh, econometrics or statistics immediately see what it is about. their their uh, estimated coefficients, the t-value, which tells you something, how much you can rely on, on their results. But it, and here you have the determinants like income, whether you are divorced, whether you are male or female, etc. Uh, and this goes on. So we have about 35 determinants of happiness. But I don't want to go through this table because it's, it would be boring. I would like to pick out some important influence as I see it. That is a figure. Uh, children in Germany get in their early, in their first books. It shows you how is life? How does life proceed? And it proceeds in the following way. You are born, you get married, at 50 you are at, at your absolute top, and then it goes down. <laughs> at, at 60 it's already death looking over your shoulder. Uh, are there any people like that? Uh, <laughs> then at 80 you can only sit, you cannot even stand anymore. And that's the end here. And we in happiness research find exactly the opposite. Young people are happy and old people are very happy. And it's exactly this way happiness works, not as in the other figure like that. So young people are happy because, I think, they think they can achieve everything in life. You know, become Olympic winner or uh, a golf champion or Nobel Prize winner, no problem. But when you get older, you realize that's not so easily possible. So your happiness, keeping everything else constant, that's important. Income constant, whether you are married constant, just everything, keeping everything constant, it decreases and then you become more and more uh, wise with increasing age, which is a nice thing. Uh, taking into account uh, the problems, Japan, and of course other countries, but Japan, and that is a research subject of the Institute, um, uh, are getting older and older, and if we can trust this, uh, we, the nations get happier, which is a nice thing. Of course, marriage. Everybody tells you getting married makes you happy. Because also, why should people get married otherwise? It must be like that. And you will be surprised. It's even true. On average. <laughs> but we have such a large group here that we can speak of averages. We, uh, 
Alois Stutz and I have analyzed this. Here you have zero. That is the time of marriage, when you have these huge celebrations uh, as you have it uh, normally in uh, Japan. Uh, provided you don't go to Lucerne to do it cheaper, more cheaply. Uh, but that is uh, the, the, the day of marriage. And we have panel data. I understand panel data to be um, surveys where you look at one particular person over time for many, many years, identical persons. So we can trace their whole life, their happiness over their whole life. So we can see how happy were they five years and ten years before marriage. And you see it goes very strongly upwards. And then that is the result. <laughs> but that only applies to romantic love. When you get married because you want to be happy, then it can practically only go down because it goes up so much. Uh, with arranged marriages, of course, the relationship must be different because at this point you have no idea uh, whom you know. When you, when you get towards, uh, towards marriage, you don't have any idea who, who, who the, the person is you are going to marry. You don't know her. You have no, no experience uh, with this person. And then you find out over time, oh, she or he is not as terrible as she could be. And then you get used to it and uh, you get happier. Then divorce, of course. Uh, when you have the divorce date here, happiness really goes down towards the, the time of divorce. Fortunately, people tend to recover. They uh, don't stay at this low level. Even if you don't have a, uh, a new marriage following immediately, you, you tend to recover, and that is a very good thing. Education, I'm very glad to say, as I work at a university and as I'm an academic uh, person, education makes you happier. The more educated you are, the fuller you can take account of the things life can offer you. For instance, when you travel, you, you, you can enjoy different cultures much more when you are better educated. Friends, that is one of the most important influences on happiness. People who are isolated have, and who have little, few friends are much less happy. And that's one of the results uh, of this study uh, undertaken here. Uh, to be isolated is one of the strongest negative factors on, on happiness. So I can only advise you, try to have a lot of friends and, uh, and uh, people you, you deal with and converse with. I already said that income makes you happy. Here now we look at income taking everything else constant and it remains. Higher income makes you happier. That is the real economic 
the dominant economic influence on your happiness. It's not income. It is unemployment. And please note, keeping income constant. So we look at a person who was employed and then was, is dismissed. And then his or her happiness falls drastically even if his or her income was the same. Very important. It's not an income effect. It has to do with the feeling that when you are dismissed, when you are unemployed, you are thrown out of society, your uh, personal evaluation of yourself falls very strongly, you don't know anymore what you are worth, very, very strong uh, effect. And uh, that effect has also been found uh, with equal strength in your, in your study. Then self-employed people in Western countries are more satisfied with life because they have more autonomy. And here we have an interesting uh, uh, difference to Japan. And we were discussing why this may be the case. So in Japan, the self-employed are not happier than other people in Europe, in the United States, and some other countries, the, the uh, self-employed are happier. And uh, one explanation we discussed was that uh, in Japan, a real Japanese wants to work in one of those big industries we all know, Mitsubishi, etc. And only those who do not find uh, a good employment there go into self-employment. While in, uh, in Europe it's the other way. Everybody dreams of being self-employed because then he or she can decide about their life more extensively. And that is surprising because the self-employed on average have a lower income they work more intensively, as you know. You have to get up really in the morning and have to work until late in the evening. And they are subject to a much higher risk. Nevertheless, they are uh, happier, except in uh, Japan. Democracy uh, makes you happy. Decentralized political decision-making also makes you happier. And I would now like to, to dis discuss some open issues so where you could re do further research on. Uh, one is, of course, uh, the measurement can always be improved. Another very important factor is the so-called causality problem or identification problem. Uh, there are factors influencing happiness, but happiness also influences those factors. Take income. I argued that people with higher income are happier, but happier people are, are more easily get a nice job because they are more attractive as co-workers, and so they get the better jobs. So you have a two-way relationship. Or with marriage. Marriage makes you happier to some extent. Uh, but 
On the other hand, happier people are more likely to be married because who wants to be married to uh, an unhappy person? That's terrible. So they get they more easily get a partner. Another uh, area which we uh, which we analyzed again with Alois Stutzer and uh, Christine Benesch is whether this person is is unhappy and therefore he watches TV or whether these terrible TV programs make him unhappy. That's an open issue. And I must say, I, when I started this research, I wanted to uh, suggest uh, that it's the terrible TV programs which make people uh, so happy as, uh, unhappy as this man. Uh, it didn't quite turn out. However, it turned out in one respect, namely that people like you and me who have alternatives in life, who can do something in their spare time when they do not watch TV, if th those people like you watch too much TV, their happiness drops, clearly drops. While for people who, who have few friends and who do not know what to do, to do with their lives, who do not read books, etc., do not uh, engage in sports. For them, uh, TV uh, is not so bad, but it is not very good either for their happiness. Now, should government make people happy? Sh even should they maximize happiness? Uh, this is Bhutan. They have claimed, the government of Bhutan and the king of Bhutan claimed that uh, they make, want to make the Bhutanese happy. The French president, I must say the former French president, Sarkozy, also claimed that. The English uh, government claims it. And the question is, is that a good idea? And even the Chinese claimed it. I have uh, serious counter-arguments, I think. One is the strategic responses to survey. So far, we could ask people, how satisfied are you with your life? And then people thought about it and gave you a, a reasonable answer which, in which they believe themselves. But now imagine, if your government tells you, we, our goal is to make you happy. And imagine that you are a left-winger and the government is right-wing. And then you are asked how happy or how satisfied with life are you, then you would, of course, say, oh, I cannot be happy with a right-wing government as I'm a left-winger. So you start to answer strategically. You no longer say the truth. And that uh, mixes up everything. You can no longer trust the happiness indicators. Moreover, there are, I think, other goals in life such as solidarity, for instance, or, or religious goals. So I, I do not think that government should maximize happiness because there are other important goals in life. I would like to um, emphasize the manipulation principle, namely that the government has both the possibility and wants to influence the happiness target, the national happiness indicator. 
Uh, and I think if that is the case, this indicator, this happiness indicator, will be systematically changed, distorted by government in their favor. Uh, they do it by propaganda. They uh, choose the right individuals which are suitable for them. Not, they play around with the non-respondents, which is very easy with surveys to do. Uh, how do you treat outliers? You know, when I asked you, uh, if somebody r had risen uh, their hand at one or two, can we trust this or, we, or was this just for fun? So you must make a decision and of course governments then tend to kick out those people who are uh, unhappy. Then something which is very relevant for your country, if a natural disaster uh, hits a country, the government can always claim, uh, can always say the, the national happiness indicator is not very high because there was this external influence. And if all this doesn't work, they can just uh, invent the results. They can just say there are some people who have given this answer. They can just inv invent that and nobody can really control that. Uh, or finally, they can even introduce a new happiness indicator. Uh, perhaps you find that I'm cynical. I'm not, because governments systematically manipulate the, uh, the macroeconomic overall data of our countries. Look at the unemployment rate. Systematically distorted. Inflation. I just, in, in The Economist, there was just a, a, a short article saying that the real rate of inflation in Argentina, in Argentina is 32% per year. The official rate is 12%. You know, so governments really uh, cheat with GNP. And here I must only say the word, word Greece. I mean, not classical Greece, Greece but today's Greece. I mean, at, at first they said, we have a pub uh, public uh, budget deficit of 6% or something, which is it should be 3% at the maximum to have 6 and they say oh yes we have problems we have 6 and then all of a sudden it was 8 and, uh, and then it, it was 12% so governments man do manipulate and so they will also manipulate the happiness indicator of course now one could argue let's have a statistical office which is independent from the government I don't believe that this works because there will be a strong pressure by government on this so-called independent uh, institution. We know it from central banks. About, I don't know about the Central Bank of Japan, but I know of, all, of some other central banks. For instance, the German Central Bank, the Bundesbank, was considered to be the most independent central bank of the world and when you now look at reality huge manipulation of everything and and uh, they do things they should never ever do 
and which they would have in former times said, oh, we would never do that. And they did it and do it now. And the same is true for the Bank of England and the Banque de France. Uh, I think academic critique could be useful. So I, I propose that we should go deeper, we should have a constitutional approach, uh, and uh, not think that the government should be a sort of benevolent, technocratic dictator who tells you how to become happy. Rather, uh, government should just allow people to get happy and give them the opportunity to do that. And that's very important. A government should just give the choice, make it possible for people to become happy. And that could be uh, done by uh, making it possible to be employed, to receive a good education, to be able to polit politically participate uh, also in decentralized uh, decisions. And I was uh, before talking uh, with the director of this institute, Dr. Kolmas, about political participation rights. We are not yet very far in, in this, we concluded. So my conclusion is, I think happiness research is an interesting field, provides really new ideas, and uh, is, is, is different from what we, ha what we knew before. Uh, but uh, that, uh, sorry. But that uh, with happiness, with uh, a happiness policy, we should be careful. It should we should have a constitution which allows people to become happy. Thank you very much.